Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Freya Sampson is the author of two novels, The Last Chance Library and The Lost Ticket, which is titled in England as The Girl on the 88 Bus. She worked in TV as an executive producer, and her credits include two documentary series for the BBC about the British royal family and a number of factual and entertainment series. She studied history at Cambridge University and in 2018 was shortlisted for the Exeter Novel Prize. She lives in London with her husband, two young children, and an antisocial cat. Here is my conversation with Freya. Hi, Freya. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to be on. I would say, I have to confess right at the top of this, that I dream of being English. I'm a true (laughs) Anglophile. And so I'm always wanting to say that I'm chuffed about things, but I can't pull it off. Right? You just pulled that off fine. There you go. And you, if you hadn't said anything, that would have gone, I would not have even questioned it. God. I mean, we should really restart the recording right now. But next time, I will, <laughs> next time I'm prepared, I'm just going to start using that in everyone. Well, I am terribly chuffed to have you here. I'm so excited to talk about The Last Chance Library, which is your previous book and your upcoming book. And I think where I'd love to start is just talking about that difference between your English and my English, and even the differing titles for your books. Yeah. I find that so fascinating. Now, how does that come about? Because I am still new to the process of publishing things internationally. So what was your name for the book in the UK? So I always call the book The Last Library, which comes from a line in the story where one of the characters, Mrs. Bransworth, says, we have to fight for this library as if it was the last library on earth. And I always thought, you know, that was quite a nice, simple title. But what happens is, obviously, different publishers publish the book in different countries, completely different teams. So I have different covers. You know, the book's the same, but everything else is different. Yes. Um, And I think in America, they wanted to hint a bit maybe at the sort of romance and the second chance element of the book and possibly thought that the last library sounded a bit depressing (laughs) whereas uh, they didn't have any such qualms in England (laughs) to press away so yeah but actually my second book has really different titles they have completely so in America it's called The Lost Ticket and in the UK it's called The Girl on the 88 Bus so that's going to be a real mouthful to kind of work around whereas the US it's it's one word it's not been too difficult to work with. Well, that's good to hear. Those are tremendously different yeah, titles. Sounds like a different book, right? <laughs> yes. And I really do love your uh, your nod to the difference with the appreciation for the dark that <laughs> England, I think, carries that some of us, us sunny Americans just, you know, 
you got to be nervous about us. You never know what might happen. <laughs> we get so concerned. Well, so I chose your book. The way I found it was I was looking for books about libraries and I found it and I was doing a book club with the Zibby Books Ambassadors. And so we all read it and they are a book or a, excuse me, a group of charming, just really bright, delightful readers and they loved it. And there was so much appreciation for the different pieces of it. And I was impressed too, because I think that it's so well-written. Your writing is tight and I really appreciate your characterization. Your characters really stuck with me and I laughed out loud multiple times, so I can't recommend it enough. (sighs) I'm always wary of giving any spoilers. I'm really sort of terrible at recommending books because I just shove it into someone's hand and say, just read this. Do what I told you, but I would definitely do it with this book. You did such a tremendous job. Gosh, that's very kind. Thank you very much. You are making me blush. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it is, I mean it very deeply. So do you, so I was reading your bio and I was interested though, that you were a history person. You studied history, correct? Yes, I did. And so of course my question was, did you think about writing historical fiction initially or how did you get to this genre that you're in now? And is it where you want to stay? Yes, interesting question. So I, yes, I did history at university, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And history felt like one of those, I really enjoyed history at school. And it sort of felt like one of those degrees that, you know, sort of gave you lots of options at the end. Yes. Um, as in, it doesn't lead to anything, so you can sort of do anything or not. <laughs> and then I went into TV, actually. So I always wanted to write, but I just didn't have the confidence. So I then spent many, many years working in TV, uh, I mean, sort of documentaries and factual TV. And actually, it was more that than the history degree that I sort of wanted when I just when I when I was on maternity leave with my second child, I was like, I re- this, this is it. If I don't try writing now, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to go back to work, into television, and that's going to be my window gone. Okay. And it was it was more that when I was making TV programs, what I'm always really interested in is characters and people. I always I've always made programs that were sort of about. I mean, they're very different programs, but in one way or another, they were often like sort of celebrating the eccentricities of people and what Mm. makes, what kind of the sort of just innate like charm and humour in, in, well, it was British people because they were British documentaries, but in anywhere. And so actually when I went, decided to write a book, it was more that that interested me than the sort of history of 20 years ago. I was like, well, the nice thing about writing is... I'm not even having to be careful because I'm telling real people stories. I can just make them up and I can just really have fun with these characters. So actually, this is a long answer to say, no, I I never really thought about historical fiction. I just really wanted to write books that were sort of about human relationships and human characters and sort of celebrating groups of kind of fun, interesting people. That was what, that was my start point. So yes, I'm doing that. And so therefore I am where I want to be. It's lovely. That's wonderful. Did you enjoy working in TV? In many ways, yes. Like, it was very fun. I did do lots of travel. I made documentaries about really, you know, I I spent a couple of years making a couple of documentaries for the BBC about the royal family. That was obviously just kind of this crazy and interesting experience. So you did, I did get to do lots of things and see, and you know, behind the scenes of things that were fun. But it was 
very it's a tough job well I mean it's not tough job you're not saving lives but it's very long hours and it's kind of relentless and when I had children it's terrible to say this isn't it because it just happens to lots of women and it's always women it's really depressing that it just suddenly it was just just didn't feel you know I was there with my kids at the weekend on the phone answering calls about shoots that were going on and I was like this just isn't fun anymore Besides, I had always wanted to write. So it sort of felt like a kind of good moment to, as I say, give it a go, finally try and lock up the courage to try and write. Well, I'm so glad you did. Thank you. And I love that you made that point because you're so right that that sort of push and pull that women experience is so significant. And, you know, we all talk about mom guilt and these other pieces that exist, but then you marry it with certain careers and it really does become almost unsustainable. And it, for people who are precisely where they want to be, it's hard that they would have to be there emotionally and, and just feeling like all the things that the world asks of women. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. And I think, as you say, for women who love their careers, you know, and I, I had spent time I had kids, it'd been 15 years working my way up to kind of pretty near the top you know I had a really good job that I'd worked really and it was really satisfying and so it was a really hard decision to make to step away from that you know and a big part of me didn't part of me didn't want to do that because I I didn't want that message I was sending to my children that you know mum's had kids and now I'm not going to do it my job anymore because of you and I didn't you know it's really tough (laughs) you didn't write that down on a card for them and yeah here you go (laughs) happy birthday look what mummy ruined for you But I was very lucky that there was something else I loved. But it was always, you know, when I started writing this book, I had no idea if it was ever going to get an agent or published. So it was always like, okay, let's do this for a year. I gave myself a year. Okay. And then if if it doesn't work out, I will say, well, I tried and I, I did it. I wrote a book and that was, you know, one I always wanted to do. And then I would go back to TV. So I was always, you know, there as a thing that I might still do. But I am glad because although writing has lots of, and being in publishing has lots of challenges in different ways and, yes. you know, it's kind of much more, as you know, sort of, it's much more insecure and you never really know what, you know, it's, there's, it's, but it is, I have to say, it is, I do prefer the lifestyle it allows me. And there is, I have much less mum guilt now than I had when my daughter was little and I was still working in TV. Mm, that makes sense. It doesn't, it does sound like certain TV schedules are crushing just the way you that they run always the have to be on call always yes. always even when you're not on you have to be on because if something goes wrong you got to pick up the phone you got to be there for them you can't be like I'm sorry guys I'm at soft play <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work like that sadly <laughs> I'm busy singing the wheels on the bus I'm unavailable yeah. or I also, can't deal with your crisis <laughs> exactly or also I just don't want to take your call I'm ignoring yeah. it <laughs> do you have a favorite character from the last library I do. Um, I really do. So there's this character called Mrs. Bransworth, who she is my favorite a... too. I'm so excited. Oh yeah, continue. <laughs> People really do love her. Actually, so she was really funny. She popped into my head fully formed. I just knew her the second I started writing. She's an older woman who is sort of a sort of social activist. She spent her life campaigning for everything from like women's rights to she was involved, you know, big, involved with the kind of anti-nuclear demonstrations we had in the UK in the 80s. You know, she's always been on the front line. Yes. She's very opinionated. She is potty-mouthed, and I apologise now to anyone who might be offended. She does 
Doesn't I, mind language. I think it's a perfect amount of potty mouth, personally. Okay, it's just tasteful potty mouth. Excellent. Perfect. Um, and sh- I loved writing her because I am quite a an anxious person. I'm someone who really worries what people think about me. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun writing a character who didn't care. She says well, what she thinks. She doesn't uh, ask anyone's permission for anything. And it was really fun just to write someone who is so kind of comfortable in her own skin. It was a delight. Oh, that's really interesting. I never thought about writing someone who's not like you because we often Hmm. talk about the people in books that are like us, right? And I think there's always that natural connection of... Is this character like you? So yeah. that you're right. That it's would be wish a fulfillment. I dream of being an older lady like Mrs. B. <laughs> oh, just letting it all rip all the time. Just I'm just gonna tell everyone what I think. I, exactly. <laughs> I think I'd like to get on that track too. It sounds like fun. <laughs> was Chowcott Library based on an actual library for you, or what was your first experience with libraries? So Those I was really questions. so I was really lucky. I grew up in a sort of small small town but we had a great library it was Mm. really I mean like lots of book lovers some of my earliest memories are of going to this library it was really well resourced there was an amazing children's library section it was really was a great library and it's still going strong today actually Chalcott Library is is made up but I did when I was researching the book I did go and visit quite a lot of libraries and talk to librarians and particularly sort of library campaigners and people who had kind of gone through the process of what happened in the book. And there is one library I visited that I won't name because I don't want to offend them if they read the book and think our library is much better than this library. <laughs> but it was it was sort of similar size and similar sort of characters. So I kind of, it was a bit in my head when I visualised the library, I sort of a bit visualised that one. But equally, it's sort of a mishmash of every library I've ever been to. But I always feel a bit bad about this because I'm not a librarian. And I always think if librarians read it, maybe they think, this is a terribly run library. <laughs> it's really badly managed. <laughs> Somebody needs to get in there and deal with this yeah. stack. <laughs> no. Well, I didn't think that. I thought it was tremendous. And Thank I, you. <laughs> I love the ownership. I mean, the Friends of the Chalcott Library, it just, it worked so well. And it really was a joy to read. So, And I wanted to share this line that I loved. And it was early in the book, but when they're talking about what they are trying to keep that the library is about so much more than simply books. Libraries are like a net there to catch those of us in danger of falling through the cracks. That's what we're really fighting to protect. There were so many lovely lines like that. And I also have to say real quickly, I I really appreciated just how you wrote June's character. She is... I think I felt so connected to her. And I don't know if it's my life stage. You know, I think books find you at the right moment in your time and and it really resonates. But I just, I enjoyed reading about June because I identified with the feeling of stuckness. I think you really did a good job of capturing the beginning of the book where it doesn't feel like there's much motion. And that's part of the issue that's there. I mean, would you say that? for her and then also in a larger way. So how did June come to you? Well, sort of stuck is part really where where I started. I wanted to write a character who actually is really, she's happy in her life at the beginning. Like she, she's really content. And, you know, some people, I think for the reader, you can look at it and think, 
you know, here's someone who's still grieving the loss of her mother and she's living in the same house, reading the same books, like, God, like, ah, what a life. <laughs> Actually, right. she's really happy with that. And I sort of wanted a bit to write a character who she doesn't aspire to huge things, June. She doesn't, you know, the book isn't about some grand realizing your dream because I think for lots of people that's not what our lives are about for her it's about sort of you know her her goals are quite small and quite simple Mm -hmm. and I sort of wanted to celebrate a character who actually is sort of is not looking for huge change and then it kind of sweeps her up and she grows and she develops and she you know her world changes but actually at the end of the book it's still the same you know she's still there with her books she's like her life is she's still June she's not really do you know what I mean sometimes in books transformations are really huge and I was kind of like well I'm interested in the little change the sort of the change that happens when you let people into your life as opposed to when you travel the world or, you know, have some huge first love. It was, you know, it was, I was sort of wanting to champion the the little change that can still be really transformative for people. Yes, that quiet transformation. And I, I really, that resonated with me because I think you're right. Sometimes our stuckness doesn't always, I think we have such a, a vision for forward and upward motion. And so this idea that you're right, that life can be really steady and then also that change can be good, but you're right, but not necessarily like, well, I'm a new person and now I'm doing all these things. So you, it's, it's such a good book. And I, I really, I, I just loved it. Some yeah. books feel warm to me and this book was a warm book where I put it down and I thought, oh, I just feel nice about all the things, which is good. And especially a gift to readers, I think. I love hearing that because that is, I love warm books. For me, my favorite kind of book are those that you just finish with a smile on your face and you've really enjoyed spending time with the characters. I think especially in these times, like I just love books that kind of make you feel good. That's an an underrated thing, just to be made to feel good by a book. It is an absolutely underrated thing. And I'm really glad that I'm not the only person who thinks about books as like that. My sister and I always say that. I say, oh, that was just a warm book. And it's such a perfect, perfect description, but odd to people who don't love books like a real nut job like me. (laughs) Or if what you want is a book to scare you. You know, some people look for really different things in books. They don't want warmth. They want terror or they want to be really challenged and those books are brilliant too and I love them too but I think there are always times when I'll come back to the books like June really that just make me feel safe and warm yes yes and like you said in these times I think that is underrated it's something that we all need can we talk about your new book Yes. And sorry, before we get there, I loved your Instagram post recently about trusting the process with the book that you're currently working on. So I would love to loop back around to that, but that's more of just a little sticky note for myself. So yeah. it's still early here. <laughs> well, I, okay. you know what? It's, it's, it's something that has happened it's really with all the books, all, I mean, I've only published two books or about to publish two books. Uh, that still said. counts as all the books. As yes, a person all who's the still books. trudging through the first. Um, it seems to be, and I, I would not recommend to anyone out there writing, I do not recommend my way of writing books. I think this is probably the worst way to write a book. But I, what seems to happen to me is I write really terrible first drafts and they're really hard 
and I question myself and I doubt myself and I tie myself up in knots and I just have all the imposter syndrome and all the fear. And then I finish my first draft and I take a break from it. And then I reread it with what happened with The Lost Ticket, my second book, is I then binned it and started again. Same story, exact. nothing changed about the story, but I like put it away. I was like, that. okay, that is my zero draft and I've written it and now I can write the book. And then I wrote the second draft very quickly, completely rewrote it. The only thing that survived but won the first draft into the second draft is the prologue of the book, which is the same. But everything else got rewritten, which is, I realise that you're, you're wincing and I think that's right. It is... <laughs> It's terribly ineffectual, but it's the way I do it. And then the second draft actually is always, my experience is always quite sort of good and it doesn't take a load of editing. It's like I need to kind of just get it out there on the page and then write the book. And so for me, when I talk about trusting the process, it's a lot about just reminding myself that that's okay. If like the, if the first draft is hard and, you know, feels not good, that's all right. Like this isn't the book. This is the process you need to go through. And every writer has their own process. And I hope most writers' processes are better and more effective than mine. But <laughs> it's just what I have to do, turns right. out. Yes. But it is hard. And, and you know, if you do have suffer from, you be a bit anxious or, like I have to say, like, just still question my abilities all the time. So it is hard to kind of back yourself when you're going through that first draft and you know what you're writing isn't perfect, I'm a perfectionist. I kind of, it's weird for me to, to write like this. Anyway, that's the answer to that trust the process. But book two, which I am pleased to tell you has now moved from the draft to <laughs> a book about to be published. Yes, readers, um, that's not what you will be picking yeah, up. Yeah, I think it's much better than it was originally. It's called The Lost Ticket. And it is about, it's sort of, in a way, it's slightly similar themes, really, to the first book. Um, but it's about a, a group of strangers on a London bus who kind of come together on the 88 bus in London to help an elderly man find his missed love connection. So this man, Frank, when he was in his 20s, met this woman on a bus. For one bus journey, they talked. She was a redheaded artist and he fell head over heels in love. But actually more than that, she sort of changed his life. The conversation really sort of made him he was like 22 at the time, made him just kind of completely rethink what he wanted to do with his life. And as the bus approached, as she was about to get off the bus, she gave him his number, her number, and they arranged to meet, they were going to meet for a, a date at the National Gallery in London. And then he gets off the bus and he loses the ticket. Oh, so Frank has spent... Frank, Frank yes. <laughs> uh, so Frank has spent the last 60 years riding this bus, looking for her, partly for many years because he hoped for love, but actually now he's in his 80s. He just, it's sort of become... I guess like a sort of he just wants to thank her. He, he's and he he can't he can't give it up. He tries repeatedly in his life to stop, and he just something draws him back to this bus. And then he meets the main character of the story, who is a young woman called Libby, who is in herself in a kind of moment of turmoil in her life. She's just been dumped by her boyfriend of eight years and left their home. And she meets him and she's completely inspired by his story. And so she decides that she wants to help him. And she gathers this sort of ragtag group of strangers who ride the bus together so it's about the two of them in this search and about their both of them how sort of it's sort of about second chances and again opening yourself up to new relationships and new friendships and kind of kindness of strangers so there that's uh i think that's the second book that was an excellent description i can't <laughs> wait to read it and i really do appreciate that theme of and I, I 
think I talk about this a lot, but the small moments of our life that changed the trajectories where what you're describing, it sounds like for Frank, where he's on this bus and despite losing the ticket, which really does, oh, that's really going to stay with me. I it, Have you ever seen the movie? Frank, Cat- come on. Oh yeah, come on, Frank, lock it up. Pull it together. Uh, <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Castaway? I mean, that's a very, yes. yeah. That movie is a perfect example of, my husband was just talking about, he took me to see it when we were engaged and I was sobbing in the car. Those sorts of lost connections or <laughs> misses or anything like that. I mean, I just, I it really sits with me. And at that time he was like, wow, I did not see this coming as I'm <laughs> sobbing. I'm like, she was the love of his life. Oh my gosh. And he's like, Okay. <laughs> so we won't be seeing those movies anymore. But I have no doubt that I will not feel this way about your book. But I really think that that's such a powerful theme. And I like what you said about Libby, that she's in a moment of turmoil in her life. Because again, we really forget all of these dips that happen and then the new people that can come in. Are you a new friendship person? Do you like to meet new people? I wish I could answer this and say yes, but actually I'm, I'm no, <laughs> maybe that's why I write these because actually that's not what I am. And I wish I was, but actually, no, I find it quite hard to let new people in. I, I'm despite, I mean, I'm actually quite shy, so I, I do find it hard, but yeah, but I love writing and, and I, I, I love writing I love writing intergenerational friendships. You know, there's one mm. in the Last Chance Library and there's one in the Lost Ticket as well. And I love this, how these sort of two really unlikely people can change each other's lives just through friendship, just through connection. And I also really, one of the things I really wanted to explore in this book, and actually it was inspired by a librarian, was this idea that you can do something really small for someone mm. and completely transform their life with a really small gesture. And there was this amazing... I'll tell it really quickly, but the story I heard of a librarian tell me that it was sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, this woman had come into a library and she was she was in, she was re- really elderly. I think she was like 102 and had mentioned this book that she'd had when she was a child. Her father had read her this book and she'd never been able to find it ever since. And this librarian was sort of really moved by this story and went off and used their librarian superpowers to track this book down. And then all the library staff had taken turns to record themselves reading sections of this story so that this lady, aged 102, in isolation on her own, could listen to this story again. And I was really moved by this story. And I loved this idea of how one story, you know, Frank tells this story to Libby in passing on the bus. And then that sets in motion these kind of acts of kindness and other people being pulled in and that actually affects positively affects everyone you know all the librarians involved with that got a huge amount out of helping this complete stranger so a librarians are amazing and b i love that sort of this idea of how one really small gesture of kindness with a stranger can kind of snowball to actually have a huge impact on lots of people yes oh that gives me goosebumps those kind of stories you're right the the kindness of strangers can sometimes i think be more powerful in some ways than the people that we, that love us well all the time. I mean, there's space for, and and need for both, of course, but something about that is just very, it's that unrequited or there's no expectation, right? Your kindness is just given. Yeah, absolutely. And even just at the moment, you know, you just look at the news (laughs) at the moment and all you're seeing, you know, all these strangers helping strangers and actually uh, we're really good at doing that when we want to, you know, it, it really does 
it's a sort of cliche, isn't it? Bringing out the best in people. But actually people do, are really kind hearted when they want to be, when they're moved by something. And it's easy to forget that we all become, it's really easy to be insular and not, but you know, there are countless examples every day of people seemingly very altruistically helping complete strangers. And I, I mean, I can't read any of those stories without crying. I love them. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to read The Girl on the 88 Bus also slash The Lost Ticket. The Lost Ticket, yes. In America, look out for The Lost Ticket, yeah. (laughs) Yes, perfect. And in the States, that will be available in August, correct? Yes, exactly, end of August. Oh, I'm so excited. What a perfect read for the end of summer when we're all just, I feel like that's a great time for a book to come out. I love August. Yes. Was it Labor Day? You have a holiday, don't you? Yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of holidays, my friend Emily used to be here. So she's English. She was, we lived in Seattle together and she was my first mom friend after having Nolan. And I remember the questions people would ask her about holidays were tremendous. And I remember she went to, I think it was Starbucks and somebody said, do you celebrate the 4th of July in England? And she said, no, we celebrate the 5th after you'd gone. That is such a good answer. I know. And again, this is where I need to be English so that I can say, so that I can be chuffed and also say things like that. It's just quippy. I love it. Okay, so we've talked about all these library things, and it is now the time where you are asking me a question. So do you have a question for the librarian? I do. And it's a really strange question, but it's, I, I have asked other librarians this before because I'm always fascinated. So I, I once took out a library book and found like the most extraordinary letter. Someone had like a, in the book, they were using it as a bookmark. So my question is, what is the weirdest thing you have ever like found in a library book that patrons have returned to the library? I love that question. Excellent. You found a letter in one? Just real quickly. Yeah, an old school letter. It was amazing. It was like the start of a book in its own right, that finding a letter in a book. That is an excellent premise. So this is going to be slightly disappointing because I work in an elementary school. Mostly what I find is bookmarks and detritus and just general... (laughs) items that I'm like, that is going to go in the garbage. Thank you very much. (laughs) But I did, sometimes I'll find notes that the kids have kind of written to themselves. Like, like this book is, I've seen a couple of them where they'll put their name or so-and-so read this book and it's on a post-it and it just screams of, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing in class. (laughs) And then I shoved it in this library book. So mostly it's, mostly it's boring stuff, but occasionally I do get a a note to self from that's a, really sweet a little insight into some yes. child's mind in the middle of a lesson yes and some of them too will give me it, yeah I really love seeing what is in their minds because children are so fascinating they're so deep and yet straightforward right they have all of these the seeds of what will grow into their adult selves so you can see yeah. parts of it it's it's tremendous to watch and especially since I get to watch them for a number of years so yeah some amazing. of the yeah I have to pull back too because we have a couple kids who I have very solid memories of how they were in kindergarten 
And when I see them in fifth grade, they're so grown. And I, I really have to stop from being like, I remember when you were so small and you cried all the time. <laughs> the embarrassing auntie. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I really, I really try and tamp it down. Not with my own children. I let it ride with them. Like, let's just embarrass them. But how old are your kids now? They are five and seven. Are those fun They're ages? Still- Still little, yeah, they are fun ages actually. Yeah, no, it's good. I think this is the nice bit, isn't it? You're through the kind of the the, the dark early days, <laughs> and you're not yet into the moody teenage bit. So actually, they are. I mean, they have their moments, but they're really fun on the whole. That is fun, and I will say a word for the positive uh, aspects of teenagers: they can be really fun. I really have quite enjoyed it. You hear so much about the battles, which, of course, there are bizarre situations where you think, man, your hormones have hijacked everything, and someone is driving your boat that really shouldn't be. But (laughs) I think that they are tremendously fun, so it's... It's neat to relate to them on different levels, right? I think, like you said, in those early days, I think that was the hardest thing for me is not being able to share that story with them so much. You really are more at their beck and call. Yeah. 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 That's really true. Oh, there you go. Thank you. That's a good positive pitch for teenagers. I appreciate that. Yes. Because it is all doom and gloom. I have noticed, right? (laughs) Everyone, they see your kids. Everyone's like, oh, just just wait wait. till they're teenagers. Yeah. (laughs) Just wait. That's like when they're little and you're not sleeping and people say, oh, it only gets harder. And I think I want to run you down with my car. How dare you say that? say that to a parent ever. No. No, it's never a good idea. Don't do it, friends. <laughs> that will be our act of kindness. This is a PSA. You heard it first here. Don't say this to a parent ever. It gets better. It gets yes, better, not yes. worse. <laughs> Only better. Always upward. Wonderful. <laughs> this has been so much fun to talk to you. I really have enjoyed it. And thank you for sharing about your process because I think especially for writers who are just starting out, you do have to find your process. And the idea, I know I was wincing, but it's only because I'm writing and throwing away so many words myself. But you're right. There is an element of writing that no one starts out with a book. No one sits down and writes a book that then you hold in your hand. And I think that is so, I wish I'd known that because I think part of the reason it took me until my mid-30s to write properly was because I kept trying and then stopping because I would read 10,000 words and I'd be like, this isn't like the book I'm currently reading that's been nominated <laughs> for some big award. This is terrible. And it yes. was, this is, it sounds like so, so obvious, but it took until my mid-30s and I did like an evening class and one of the things, the big things I took away was like, it's okay. It's not, as you say, it's not, you don't write a book in this, and it's, it's all part of the process and it's fine. And and actually also that nothing is wasted. Even that yes. draft I put in the bin, I couldn't have written the book that's being published if I hadn't written. It's just, you've just got to just go with it. And however long it takes and however many frustrating times you have to throw chapters away, it's all still in the book, you know, it's all there in the final product. And I wish I'd realised that because I it stopped me writing for years and years and years because I was like, what is this rubbish I'm writing? No one will ever read it. <laughs> this is garbage and we're yeah. done here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't write. You know, that was what I, that was, you know, it's, it sounds really silly to say it now, but it's always what I say to people. It's like my top tip. It's like, it doesn't have to be good when you start. That's oh, what editing's for. 
Yes. That's perfect advice because I think the imposter syndrome can really hijack everything before it even gets going. So Mm -hmm. I think that's tremendous advice and I'm glad that you share so honestly. And real quickly, can I, now, do you like to talk about what you're working on next year? What, or so do you, it's too you early to talk okay, about perfect. it because um, I don't, haven't even told my husband because I just sort of oh. feel like until I know what it is, I'm jinxing it. But I, I'll give you a, I'll give you one little thing. It's, it's another intergenerational friendship, but a very well. It's sort of a enemies to friends plot. Okay, um, but like that is more than I've told anybody. So there you go. Oh, this is true. <laughs> this is, this is a, a new connection between strangers. So you said you weren't open to it, but maybe. Maybe now we're best friends. There you go. I've now told you something no one else knows. That's right. Maybe maybe just send me your address and we'll hang out all the time. Yeah, exactly. We're now besties. <laughs> no, I can't wait to hear more about it. I appreciate you sharing that. And I also appreciate the when it's in those baby phases. <laughs> fear, yeah, right? The yes. Fear. And that's a good tip, I think, for people too, where if you're writing something, you really do have to be careful who you share it with in those early days. Because so true. People are well-meaning, but I think they just don't maybe know the tenderness of it sometimes yeah. early. So, yeah. Absolutely. And also even you can try and pitch it to somebody and hate the way you pitch it. And then you're like, oh, is this terrible? Like, yes. It takes time to work out how to talk about your book in a way where you're not like, you heard, you know, when I even when I talked about The Lost Ticket, I haven't really talked about it much yet. I'm still a bit like, oh, is that okay? Does that, you know, it's, it's really scary. So, yes. Well, yeah, I thought it was... Don't tell people until you're ready. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> Protecting it until you're ready is perfect. Mm-hmm. I thought you did a tremendous job. I was really Thanks. impressed, actually. Thanks. And Somebody asked me the other day what my book was about, and I just sat in silence for about 15 seconds. So I think you're, <laughs> you're well on your way. But again, that's a reminder. It's all part of the process, right? You have to go yep. through those times. And Well, this has been a delight. Thank you for the time. Thank you for sharing about your process and about these lovely books. I cannot wait to read The Lost Ticket. And I mean, I'll probably try and get my hands on the English cover copy as well, just because then it really makes me feel more official. Yes. Bye. Well, thank you. This has been really fun. It's been great to talk to you. You too. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. <laughs>